Then sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee. to the person next to you and behind you and say, God bless you. Amen. You can take your seat. What a wonderful morning. Welcome in the house of the Lord. We are here to study His Word and we're in the study of the book of Revelation. It's the only book that promises a blessing for the reader, the hearer, and the one who do what is in the book of Revelation. And today we're going to continue on and we're going to look at verses 4 to 11 in chapter 1. But before we get there, I want to go to a scripture verse in Romans, in the book of Romans. And I want to ask you a question. Do you really believe what you are hearing? Children of God, are you still looking forward for the coming of Christ? Are you still getting excited when you open up His Word? I haven't seen in my life the apostasy that's starting to happen. 25 years ago, when I was a young man in the Word of God, the older preachers were still talking about there is coming a day when people will turn away from God. And we are in those times now more closer than those older pastors that preached it. People are sitting in church falling asleep. People are sitting in church dead. My earnest urge, like a Paul, and I'm by far not Paul, but like a Paul is, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to look at your relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Make it serious. It is serious. It determines your standing in life after this life. It's the most, listen to me, it's the most important thing that you can work on is your relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing else compares, comes close to having a relationship with Him and to build that relationship. Nothing in this life will give you more joy than having a loving relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ and through Him with the Father and the Holy Spirit. You know, Paul wrote these words down in the book of Romans chapter 10, verse 17. He says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Who wants to build their faith? 
Friend, you're in the best place to build your faith because that scripture verse is there. So then faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? Hearing Hollywood, hearing TV, hearing music, hearing what other people say. No, no, no. He says hearing. Hearing what? It is by the Word of God. You are hearing this morning the Word of God. Verse 14 he says then, how then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? Spare me a few minutes before we get into the book of Revelation. Because listen to this, and if you've got your Bible, I want you to underline that and ask yourself this question. Because it is a critical question. It's an important question. He says, how then shall they call on him? People are calling on Jesus, but they are not believing in him. You know why they call on Jesus? Because of their own needs and wants. That's why they call on Jesus. Jesus, I want this. Jesus, I want that. Jesus, this and this and that in my life. And then, now he goes on, he says, how will they call on Him whom they have not believed? That's why I'm asking you this morning, are you believing when I preach the word to you that it's true? That it's fact? The word of God. In this generation, in the chasms of time, it's the only, the only true thing that you can hold on to, the Word of God. It's important. How can you call on Him who you do not believe in? How? Tell me how it is. It doesn't make sense. And then he goes on to say there, he says, And how shall they believe in Him whom they have not heard? Whom they have not heard. If you haven't heard of him, how can you believe in something or somebody that you haven't heard of? And then he goes on to say, And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who brings glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed your report? I can preach until I'm blue in the face. I can shout as loud as I want to. I can jump up and down. I can do power presentations as much as I want to. But if people don't want to hear, they will not hear. People are falling asleep in the church. And I put it down to two things. I put it down to the people themselves, and I put it down to the preacher. Because what the church needs in our generation is not wishy-washy preaching. We need preaching in spirit and truth and convicting preaching. That's what we need. People need to come into the churches and they need to hear that they are living sinful lives and need to repent and turn to a holy God. That's what people need to hear. Faith cometh by hearing. And not just any kind of hearing but the Word of God. And this morning we talk about such a man. His name is John. He's a preacher sent by God. We find this man this morning in the Isle of Patmos. And we see that God is appearing to him. It says there to give him the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we find in the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, if you do not know Him, and if you do not have a great relationship with Him, if you do not have a godly relationship with Him, now is your chance. 
to listen to the word and to let your faith be built. To hear the word of God. Now he says these words, and I make it our theme today. He says in Revelation chapter 1 verse 7, Behold! Behold! Take notice of this, and I want to shout it out to this world today, because the world is fast asleep. Listen, I want to shout it out to the churches today. Behold! Something's going to happen. What? He is coming with clouds. Who's coming? Who's coming? Come on, tell me. Jesus Christ is coming. You need to shout it out. You know why the Muslim is waiting for the Madai? They're waiting for all of these things. Buddha is waiting for something. Ishams and everybody is waiting for this stuff. But the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords Supreme is coming. And He's coming not to a town near you. He's coming to get you. <laughs> he's coming soon. He's coming soon. I await His returning. Is that how you feel in your heart? Or are you just worried what the share price is going to do tomorrow? This is serious business here. I'm not standing here and taking my time to come to you and tell you stories or get you your, no, your approval. No, 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 no. This is serious business. The king is coming. Oh, man, I am so excited when I read those words. I shouted in my spirit, Hallelujah, Lord, don't tarry, come. But that is selfish. Because there's still lost sinners that needs to be saved. And you are I and I am the light shining it to them. Now I want to ask you another question. A lot of questions this morning. What work are you doing with the light that God has put inside of you? Because he says it in the Beatitudes. He says, you are now like a light. Do not put a bucket over it. Or hide that light. And here we find a man, John. He had a hard and tough time. They wanted to kill him, like all the others. They put him in boiling oil to kill him. Boiling oil. Have they done that to you? I'll tell you what will happen with you. You burn your hands with boiling oil and you run to the doctor first thing. Oh, it's so sore. Look at my finger. They put this whole man in boiling oil and he couldn't die. Or he wouldn't die. They didn't know what to do with him. Is that you? They didn't know. So the new uh, Caesar came and the Caesars in those days wanted to be gods and worship like gods. And John wasn't going to bow his knee. But you know what he did? He was the preacher that Paul is talking about there. He went into these churches in Minor Asia. Seven churches is mentioned in the book of Revelation. But he went from church to church to church. And what did he do? He preached the word. He preached the word. Nothing else. No nonsense. No gimmicks. He preached the word. Why? Because he knew, he knew that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the preaching of the word. And blessed are those whose feet are walking on the mountains proclaiming the gospel of God. That's so wonderful, isn't it? So he preached in these churches. He went out to them. This is a man who stands here in verse 7 and he says, Behold, know this. He is coming with clouds. Now let's discover what happens in verse 4. Revelation chapter 1 verse 4 says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. Those are the seven churches which the scholars say that he was overseeing. 
He was like the senior pastor over all of those churches. Although these churches then had their own ministers and elders looking after the churches, he was overseeing them. And now he writes this letter to the seven churches. This is the introduction of this revelation to them. He says to the seven churches which are in Asia, and in verse 11, you find a list of those seven churches. We'll address them next time. He says, grace to you and peace from him. Who is, and who was, and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before His throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. And the ruler over the kings of the earth. Hallelujah. To Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood and has made us kings and priests to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. If to me, I don't, it doesn't have to be to you, but to me, that is the most beautiful words that I've heard this morning. The sound of the Word of God. I don't have to say a word. The Spirit of God is already doing His work through His Word. He starts off by saying, grace to you and peace. Grace and peace. And you will find, if you go through your Bible, that grace is always before peace. Peace is always following grace. You cannot have peace if you haven't discovered the grace. And if you discovered the grace, you will have peace. The world, the individuals, the people, you and I, are all seeking for peace. I'm giving you the way to peace this morning. Through the words of John sitting in the Isle of Patmos, he says, grace and peace to you. He's doing what Paul was doing. When Paul in those days wrote all of his letters to all of those churches and individuals, they started this greeting with these words. And you will find this morning that it is very encouraging words. He says in Romans and in Corinthians, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells them this grace and peace, and then He tells us who gives it. God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In uh, Galatians, it's really interesting. He says, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, comma, and I implore you to go and read what he says then. Why in Galatians different? Because in Galatians he's taking on Peter and the people who is who's turning away from faith and going back to works. And then in Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, he goes back to grace to you and peace. You see, grace followed by peace. And then in, in Timothy and into Titus, he does something interesting. Have you noticed? Now he's talking to individuals. 
He writes a letter not only to the church like Ephesus and Colossa and the group. He's talking to the individual and he says to them, to both of them, to Timothy and to Titus, when he wrote to Titus, a true son in faith. He says, grace, look at this, mercy and peace. And do you and I know that you and I need mercy? <laughs> it's so true. He says, grace mercy and peace and let me tell you this as well peace always follows mercy grace and mercy gives you peace it's like maths one plus one equals the other it's easy we find that peter do the same thing but peter changes it slightly he says grace to you and peace be multiplied what does that mean come on you read your Bibles, you've got to ask these questions. What does it mean that Peter comes to you and says, let grace and peace be multiplied? That tells me one thing. It tells me that grace can multiply. And peace can multiply. It can grow. As you give your heart to the Lord when you're a young saint or a small baby in, in spirit, as you grow, grace grows. And as you grow, peace grows. And Jude, he, he writes, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So what is grace? Grace is getting what we did not deserve. What did we get? We got peace. Did we deserve it? No. Why? Because we were born sinners. We came into the world sinners, and what did we deserve? Death. Because sin, the penalty for sin is death. So now we're getting grace. And grace is getting what we did not deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. So why did we not get what we deserve? Death. We are not getting death. So when you are saved by grace, saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, you're a born again child of God, then you are not going to get death. That's mercy. It's wonderful. And here in Revelation he says, John, to the seven churches, grace to you and peace from him who is and is, is to come. But you see the word there, grace, comes from the Greek word charis, which means charity. What does it mean, charity? It means to get something for free. That's what grace means, charis. Charity. So many charity organizations, what do they do? They don't charge you, they give it away. Now the question here is, is, what is he pointing towards? What grace is he pointing towards? We find it in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and many other verses, but just for time's sake, I'll use this one verse. He says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, For by grace, what happened? You have been saved. You see that? Through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is what? A gift of God. How wonderful is it? Can you see how encouraging it is when they wrote these letters to the churches and they used that word grace? For them, when they heard the words grace, it immediately in their minds took them back to what? To their salvation. So if I greet you every time with the salvation, how encouraging is that? It constantly reminds you. It constantly puts it in front of you like in the Old Testament. By day there was a cloud and by night there was a pillar of fire. Constantly reminding them of God. This grace here constantly reminds me of what? My salvation in Christ. Now the word peace 
comes from the Greek word irene, which means a state of tranquility and rest. Have you, re have you reached that point? Come on, you know yourself better than I know you, and your father know you, and your mother know you, and your, your wife and your husband. Have you met that point of tranquility? Do you know what tranquility means? It means absolutely peace and rest. Have you reached that point in your life? Or are you still fronting around to make a life? Or is there still some things in your life which upset you so much that it throws your equilibrium out? You know what I mean? You, you pay, people say you go off your blocker. People say you're getting a little bit mad. People say you're going on, you know. You're losing it. That's another word for it. Are, are you losing it constantly? Or have you met that one place of rest, of irony? Now let me tell you one thing. This is the good news. The only one that can give you that good perfect place of rest is Jesus Christ. That's why Polycarp was an old saint. When they said to him, deny God or you die. Now I'll tell you that, friend. You haven't been in the shoes of him when he came to that point where they say denounce Christ or die. They are doing it to some people today in the world. But they haven't done it to you yet. You see, you haven't come to that test. But Polycarp did. And you know what he said? They said, Polycarp, we don't want to kill you. You're 85 years old. If you're not going to denounce Christ, we're going to put you on the stake. We're going to burn you, Polycarp. Denounce Christ. You know what his words was? He said, for 80 and a five years, my Lord stood by me. He carried me. This is my translation. He didn't denounce me. He was there for me. How can I deny my God? You know what Polycarp had? He had grace and he had peace. He had irony. He had perfect tranquility. He had perfect rest. Nothing in this world could upset him. Nothing in this world could unsettle him. And you know what, John? He's sitting there on the Isle of Patmos. He's sitting not in very good circumstances. People are complaining. People are bleeding. There's callousness on their hands. The sun is beating down. They are prisoners. They don't get enough food. And people are moaning and groaning. It's like our world. We're living in the same world. And they're continuing on. And he sits in the midst of that. And you know what he has? Irene. Perfect, tranquil peace. Do you want that peace? Is that a kind of peace that you can do with? See, when he greets them with this, how encouraging is that? Paul writes about this. He says in Philippians 4 verse 7, he says there, and the peace of God, the irony, the irony of God, which surpasses all understanding. You can't understand this peace with your feeble mind, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, as I was preparing this morning and singing, and a scripture verse jumped in my mind as the, as the message was playing off in my mind. And I want to read this to you. You know, in John chapter 14, when Jesus talked to his disciples in the upper room, now get this, get this, our Lord and Savior is sitting in the upper room. He knows he's going to die. The next day after, after this that I'm going to read to you, the next day, he's going to hang on the cross, crucified. How would you sleep that night? Come on, think about it. 
What is the most valuable thing you've got this morning? Think of it quickly. The most valuable thing. If I tell you this morning, I'm going to take it away tomorrow. 12 o'clock, come noon tomorrow, I'm coming to you, I'm going to take your most valuable thing. I'm going to take it away. Is your peace gone? How are you going to sleep tonight? Now listen to your Lord on the day before He goes. Uh, John 14 verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance in all things that I say to you. Now look at this. He says, Peace, peace, I leave you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives to you do I give. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You know what word he uses there? Irene. You see, he says, my peace that I'm going to bring to you is going to be perfect tranquility and peace. It's not something you can develop. It's something God gives you. He gives it to you, but it comes after grace. So, grace is our standing in Christ. That is being taken care of at the cross. That is when we come to Him and we are saved. He, he gives us salvation through grace. He says it, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And even that faith comes from God, which He plants in us. And then peace is our experience. We experience peace after our standing has been settled. Now let's continue on. We need to ask now the question, from whom? From whom is this grace and peace? And he gives, three, he gives a few titles there. He says, first of all, from him who is, who was, and who is to come. We sang it this morning, isn't it? What John is doing here, he's sitting with a little bit of a, a predicament. How can I explain an Old Testament Hebrew name for God in Greek? And the only way he can do that is to put it in the sentence, who is, who was, and who is to come. That refers back to the Old Testament name for God, which is Yahweh. It refers back to that. So he uses that in this. And that word there, if you think about it, when, where did the word Yahweh come from? In the Old Testament, there's two words used for God. One is Elohim, and the other one is Yahweh. Yahweh. Now, think of this. When God created the heavens and the earth, which name was used? Elohim. He says, in the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. And then he also used the word Yahweh later on when he says, whom shall I say sent me? This is Moses. And he uses this. Now, the Old Testament, the Jews, didn't want to say God's name out. They had so much utmost respect for God that they wouldn't pronounce the whole name. So what they did is they took the vowels out and they just wrote it like this, J-H-W-H, Yahweh, and used the name Adonai for God. And what they did to come to the name Jehovah is they have overlaid these words over that and came to the word Jehovah in the New Testament. Look, I'm just touching the surface here. There's a deeper study in the names of God. But there's something interesting I want to show you now. He says, from him who is, 
who was and who is to come. You see, when we talk about Elohim, it refers to God as the creator of the whole universe and the creator of people and of things. That's why when you're going to read in the Old Testament and he uses that word, he talks about creation. But when he becomes personal with you and me, they uses this word in the Old Testament. Go look in your Bible. And that is when God's personal relationship with His people and ethical respect and nature. He speaks to the people and He uses the word Yahweh. He says, whom shall I tell the people sent me? And He says, Yahweh. He didn't use the word Elohim, the Creator God. This is really interesting. And then you can also see that within this name you find the Trinity. I absolutely believe in the teaching of the Trinity of God. God the Father... God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches that. You won't find the word Trinity in the Bible. But you need to study the word to see this. There's three distinct persons in one. And this is another title for it. He says, He who is, and who was, pointing towards Christ, and who is to come. And then he says, another title for him, he says, seven spirits who are before his throne. You see that? Now this is interesting. Because how many spirits is there? There's only one Holy Spirit. The question then is, what is he talking about here? Is he trying to confuse people or not? But it's not. The word seven is a complete number. And he starts with that number. Whenever you see it, and, and look, Revelation is full of, of sevens. The number seven, the complete number. And we will pick them up as we go. There's seven churches. There's seven trumpets. Complete, the complete number. This is the one who gives grace and peace. He says, secondly, from the seven spirits who are before his throne. We need to identify whose spirit he's talking about. The Greek for this word spirit is pneuma, which refers to the Holy Spirit. We find this in John chapter 14, verse 16. He says, And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another helper, that He may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells in you and will be with you in you. Now my question in this verse is always, do you know Him? He says, you know Him, but you know Him. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. The word there for spirit is the same word here for pneuma, which is used in this. He says, the seven spirits who are before His throne. So if He talks about the Holy Spirit here, why then does He say seven spirits if we have one Holy Spirit? That's a very good question. Now, this is when I said last week, you need to understand the whole of the Bible to understand Revelation. You see, people come to this point here, and they are confused. They say, wait a minute, how is there seven spirits then? If the Bible says there's one spirit. Oh, you see, Revelation is difficult. We can't understand the Revelation. Or somebody will come and they will reread some kind of meaning into that. And they will give you their thoughts and ideas. And, and I'll tell you, the world is full of people who's trying to read meaning into the Bible. But what we need to do is we need to go back to the Old Testament and to the Bible to find what does he mean here? And this goes back to the book of Isaiah. 
Because you will find in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2. Let's follow there. It's not seven spirits. It's seven characteristics of that spirit because it's explained in Isaiah. He says in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2, the spirit of God. Now I want you to count with me here. He says, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Shall rest upon him. On who? On Jesus Christ. If you go to Isaiah chapter 61, from verse 1 to 6, he says, and the Spirit of the Lord shall be on him. If you look at Luke chapter 4, verse 17, it says, where Jesus walked into the synagogue, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So first of all, this is the Spirit of the Lord. When he talks about these seven spirits there, he's referring back to this, it's the Spirit of the Lord. It is the Spirit of wisdom. It is the Spirit of understanding. It is the spirit of counsel. It's the spirit of might. It is the spirit of knowledge. And it's the, spir and it's the spirit of the fear of the Lord. So there's seven. Can you see that? Now let me tell you this, dear friend. When the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you, look, he says it in John chapter 14, verse 6. He says, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him and he dwells within you. What comes and lives inside of you? The spirit of the Lord. And what does he bring with him? It is the spirit of wisdom, of understanding, so you read your Bible as a child of God with the Holy Spirit, and what does He give you? You understand the Scriptures. You get wisdom. The Spirit of the Lord is in you. The Spirit of counsel. He gives you counsel. The Spirit of might. Can you understand how exciting this is? So it's not seven spirits, but it's pointing towards the Holy Spirit with seven characteristics built into that. How wonderful is it then to have the Holy Spirit? How wonderful it is then for the Spirit of God to dwell in you. You see, that's why the world will not understand. That's why they have no wisdom in the things of God. That's why they're running around for counsel and for knowledge. And what does the Spirit of the Lord brings into you? The fear of God. The fear for God. And then he says, thirdly, this grace and peace comes from Jesus Christ. And he gives him three titles here. He says the faithful witness. And this refers to a martyr. The word there for witness is martyr, which means somebody who dies for his cause. Now, Jesus Christ was the faithful witness. You see, he went to the cross all the way. He was faithful in dying on the cross for you and for me. He says the firstborn from the dead. This refers to his preeminence. You might say, wait a minute, he wasn't the firstborn from the dead. Oh, he wasn't the first raised from the dead. Who was before him? Lazarus. The two little children. And what about in the Old Testament, the, 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 the man who, who they put on the bones of Elijah when, when he became alive? But you see the difference here, my friend, is... Those people were raised from the dead to die again. But Jesus Christ was, He was raised from the dead. He was the firstborn not to die again. And then, I like this title for me. He says, the ruler over the kings of the earth. 
Revelation describes how this is going to happen. And then he says in this greeting, we are still busy with the greeting. Are you getting a blessing out of the greeting this morning? Are you getting comfort out of the greeting this morning? Grace and peace from him who is, who is to come, uh, uh, who is, who was, and is to come. From the seven spirits before the throne, do you realize now the Holy Spirit, when he comes in you, that he's going to do a complete work in you? Complete. Why? Because he's equipped to do that. It is not just a wind that blows. It is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. I know it's strange to think about that, and we need some teaching on that if you don't know, but he's a person coming inside of you, and he's got wisdom, knowledge, understanding, the fear of God, counsel, everything for your benefit. Think about that. How wonderful is that? Now, my question again is, do you know him? And then, this Jesus Christ, who was the faithful witness from the dead. Now, he talks about Jesus now. He elaborates. He says, To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and was made us kings and priests to God our Father and to him glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He says, Who loved us and washed us. Do you understand those two words in that greeting? The words love there takes us back to the cross. Where is one point that you can see the demonstration of His love? The cross. Uh, some translations put this in the, in the present tense. They say, who loves us. The NIV, the NTL, those translations says, who loves us. Which is also true. He loves, didn't just stop at the cross, it continues on. But I like this translation. Because friend, this is like, we are in the future now. And it's a sign point po pointing back towards an event that happened here. It was a cross. And there was a man who died on that cross for you and for me. And that was the perfect love. It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says that God demonstrated His love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated His love towards us that when we were sinners, it refers to the cross where Jesus died for our sins. It shows of love, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. And He washed us. In what? In His own blood. In His blood. Uh, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 8, verse 18, He says, Though your sins were like scarlet, crimson, red, He will white it whiter, Wash it whiter than what? Than snow. As a young believer, I couldn't understand that. I watched my mom using Omo. Who knows what's Omo? I watched my mom using Omo when I was a child. And we put clothes in. And she didn't go and put in dirty water in there. No, it's clean water, is it? How do you wash clothes? Do you use the water that's running out of your zinc and then put it into your washing? You'll be greasy. <laughs> no, you put clean water in and she put Omo in. And then it washes away. And what comes out of the water? Dirty water. But the clothes are clean. And as a young man, I couldn't understand this. I said, Lord, if I'm going to take that tub and I fill it up with blood and I put a garment in there, what color is the garment going to come out? Red. 
You see, this is what the Holy Spirit does for us, friends. This goes back to what I said over there, the seven spirits. When you go back to Isaiah and he explains it to you, he gives you understanding that it had to be through the blood of Christ. I said to Toki, I said, look, I am going to do one session on the blood of Christ. We, when is the last time that you heard a sermon on the blood of Christ? Have you ever heard one? Do you realize the power in the blood of Christ? Do you realize what he says it here? Why would he then say this? This, this is the thing. Why would, why would John write these words down? Who washed us from our sin in his own blood. Why didn't he just say to him who loved us and washed us? Then he had to say on. He had to say from our sins in his own blood. Why did he use the word blood? Because there's power in the blood. There is wonder working power in the blood. In his own blood, it refers to Hebrews. And, and again, if you want to understand the book of Revelation, you need to understand the whole Bible. If you want to understand this words about his own blood, you need to understand Hebrews chapter 9. Go and read Hebrews chapter 9, you'll get a better understanding with his own blood there. Some people will read Revelation and go, you see, that's why I don't understand Revelation, because what's he talking about his own blood here? But if you've studied the scriptures, you will understand. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, you see, the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Can you see the encouragement when you write to them? They knew this. 9.22, Hebrews 9.22, he says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with the blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. How do you get to this? Well, you need to understand the Old Testament. You need to understand Genesis. You need to understand Adam and Eve in the garden. Did you know that Adam and Eve sinned? And what happened at that point in time? You remember they took some leaves to cover them? You remember that? I always call it itchy leaves. And what, then, what did God do? The Bible says God gave them tunics. Where did He get it from? There was no tailors there. It's not as if God went to a tailor and put in an order. He says, hey, look, I've got two people who's covered here in leaves. We now want you to work on two tunics for us. Just make two. No, no, no. No, God had to do what? He had to let an animal die. Blood had to come out so that He can get the skin of the blood to cover them. And since then, through the Old Testament... The blood of animals covered the sin of people. It had to be blood offer, a sacrifice. It went through the Old Testament, right into the New Testament, and then what happened? Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, came, and now He says, who washed us in His own blood. How wonderful it is. Now let me hurry on and finish. He says, to Him who loved us and washed us from our sins, in his own blood. He has made kings and priests. Let me just say something about kings and priests here. And again, look, I'm going to sound like a record just playing the same thing over and over again. But allow me. Because this is what I said last week. I feel ill-equipped to teach on this thing for people who haven't read the book from cover to cover. The Bible. Because here again, if he talks about us as kings and priests, what does he mean? What is going to happen here? Kings and priests. 
This was not allowed in the Old Testament. Did you know that? If you were a king in the Old Testament, you were not allowed to do the works of a priest. And if you were a priest in the Old Testament, you were not allowed to do the things of a king. We find a classic example in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, King Uzziah. Uh, he was the king. And what did he do? He took a censer and he went in to offer. He wanted to do the work of the priest. So he walked in and uh, Azariah, Azariah, the priest, came to him. He says, what are you doing? You're taking our work here. But he pressed on King Uzziah. He said, no, I'm going to do this. This is my translation. You can go and read the, 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 uh, the facts there. And the minute he started to put his hand up to do the blessing, and what happened? He was struck with leprosy. And he had to be removed and lived in a, as a king lived separately from his people. And he died with leprosy. This is the same king in which you read of uh, when Isaiah talks. He says, in the year of Isaiah, I was, uh, and, and the throne and the, the seam of the Lord filled the temple, Isaiah chapter 6. You see, in the Old Testament it wasn't allowed, but yet now we find in the New Testament he says, who made us. You see that he made us? It's not something that's going to happen. He made us kings and priests. Uh, king is royalty, and it is the privilege and the status and authority. Uh, when he's going to rule, we're going to come with him. He's made us kings and priests. Priest is a special servant who's doing special work for the Lord. Now I want to come to our verse this morning, and then we're going to finish. Are you, have you learned already this morning a few things? It's the Word of God, truthful, spirit and truth. He says it here now in, in Revelation chapter 7, 1 verse 7. He says, Behold! He is coming with clouds, and every knee eye shall see him, and even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Now, some people say this is the rapture. You see, he's coming, and every eye shall see him. This is not the rapture, friend. This is referring to the second coming of Christ. This is after the rapture. And it's right there in front of us. The evidence is in the Word. He says, every eye shall see Him, even though you pierced Him. You see, this is when He's coming on a cloud. He's referring back to uh, Daniel chapter 7, verse 12. And again, we need to understand Daniel. He says, as for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man. Who's that? Jesus. When you go to the New Testament, He takes that title, isn't it? He uses that title, Son of Man, more than any other title in the New Testament when He talks about Himself. And you, you know when you were here in the, in the church, we did that study. The title Son of Man is the link between heaven and earth. It's that link. It's the one link. Nobody else can have that title except Jesus Christ. You see, the, the, uh, the, the people, the other religions only come to this point. They can't have that. They do not believe in Jesus Christ. He uses the title Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He's coming with the clouds of heaven. And what's going to happen? And the ancient of days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him, what's going to happen when he comes? To him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Where is this going to happen? Jerusalem. 
He's going to set his feet on the Mount of Olives, walk through the Eastern Gate, set up the kingdom in Jerusalem. You say, oh, wait a minute. Haven't you seen the news? Haven't you seen the land? I mean, <laughs> they're talking about taking back settlements now. They've put a graveyard in front of the Eastern Gate. They want to put the Palestine in as their headquarters. They've, all of these things. Haven't you seen this? Yes, I have. But I've got bad news for them. The king is coming. Hallelujah. And he's going to restore order. Hallelujah. When he walks through, it's not what does the liberal party say? What does this guy say? Who's the most powerful man on the earth? Donald Trump. It's not what he says. It's what he says. The king of kings. My Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. And you're about to shout hallelujah when you hear that. Because you will say that. And you and every single person on this earth will say those words. He will receive a kingdom that all peoples... What does the word all mean? All. <laughs> it doesn't say except this and this and that. All people, all of them, even those who poke their noses at Him, even those who blaspheme Him, even those who don't want to know Him, Nations, languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom... Uh, and you say, but wh what's the proof that this hasn't happened? This hasn't happened before. There's no time in the history of the, of the earth that when Jesus Christ was on this earth that all nations, tongues, and everybody worshipped Him. I believe there will be a literal millennium when Jesus Christ comes back to this earth literally reigning and, and, and this world as the King of Kings. This is what it reminds to. He is coming with clouds, the second coming. And he says, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Who are they? The Romans? Yes, I know the Romans did it, but who eventually? Who? I know he gave up his life. Nobody could take his life from him. He had to give it. But it was his own people who pierced him. They rejected him, and, and there's a prophecy. And again, you see, you can't read Revelation without the Old Testament. Ezekiel, or Zechariah, sorry, chapter 12, verse 7, he says, The Lord will save the tents of Judah first. Ah, oh, man, I would just so love that somebody can print these words out, get on the phone to Putin, Vladimir Putin, and uh, say, Man, friend, I've got news for you. I wish somebody could just get on the phone to that Abajinadat from Iran who wants to chase all the Jews into the sea and call them little, what, devils or little Satans. I, 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 you know, they know this. But can you please do me a favor this afternoon, pick up the phone, call them and say, go and read the book of Zechariah, chapter 12, verse 7. The Lord will save the tents of Judah first so that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall not become greater than that of Judah. Now, in that day, what day? We'll come to that. The Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Who's got the most mightiest army today? Well, the world says it's the Jerusalem, it's the Jews. Is Israel. But you know what, friends? Because they reject Jesus Christ even to this day, 
they want to defend him with their own means. But there cometh a day when their means is going to be exhausted and they have to turn. Listen to me clearly. They have to turn to the one whom they've pierced. They will have to turn to heaven and cry for God. And you know what's going to do? My Bible says it to me as sure as daylight. He says, in that day the Lord, Yahweh, which I showed you before, Yahweh, the one who's got intimate dealings with His people, the one who's got intimate dealings with His nation Israel, that He Himself will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Look, I'm not going to ask you, <laughs> you know, excuses for getting excited about this. And we see this in Revelation chapter 19. We are so privileged. We've got the whole book. It's there. I don't need CNN. They're a lot of liars anyway. Shouldn't have said that. The one who is feeble among them, the feeble one, in that they shall be like David. What was David? Mighty David. What did they say about David and Saul? Thousands but ten thousands fell. Mighty David. I mean, if you think about David, people, even the world says, Mighty David. Even the feeble one amongst them will be like David. That's wonderful. I love this. And the house of David shall be like God. What? What is God? Mighty. Powerful. The house of David shall be like God. Like the angel of the Lord before them. It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all nations. Look, the Bible, there's so many prophecies. Man, I'm getting too excited now. I need to watch it a little. He's, the Bible says it so clearly. He's Russia. He's going to hook him in the nose and pull him into the battle. You understand what it means? Have you, seen, have you seen a beast? Have you seen a bull being hooked by the nose? He can't go anywhere. He kicks back with his legs, but he's pulled by the nose. And the Bible says he's going to be pulled into this. And, and, and there it, it says here, friends, he's going to destroy all nations that comes against Israel. Look, I want to preach it today for everybody who's going to listen to my words today. Stop cursing Israel because you're going up against God and you're going to lose. <laughs> Israel's not been replaced by the church. That's a lie from Satan himself to deceive people. I, I know they talk about spiritual Israel and church as replaced. No, no, no. This is literal. It's going to happen. I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. No wonder he greets his people in grace. Then they will look on me whom they have pierced. He's talking about the Jews. Yes, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. In that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem like the morning of Harat Rimon in oh, the day that Jerusalem is going to mourn. Look, I'm not talking about buses or, or people driving trucks into people, which is horrible. There's crying and wailing. There cometh a day for Israel when she will mourn, a different mourning than a calamity mourning. It's a mourning of looking at the one who they pierced and they realize it was him all along. It's a mourning, it's a wailing. It says Jerusalem will be mourning. Can you imagine, friend, can you imagine where you and I sit as, as blessed saints in God washed in or, or grafted into that olive tree? Uh, it, it's just too much for my words to comprehend. 
Uh, I don't know how long we're going to take with Revelation. Am I going too deep? I was sitting there last night. I said to Leanna, I said, I, I don't know whether I'm going too deep with this. I, please, you know, if, if it becomes too technical, come and tell me. But look, friend, there's more. <laughs> there's way more. And it's wonderful. It is exciting. Uh, let me finish with this word. He says, and I am the Alpha and the Omega, which is the first letter of the, we'll get to that next week, the first letter of the Greek alphabet, and the Omega is the last one. It means that he's the completion. This is the words of Jesus Christ. The beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and is and, and who was and is to come. Look, we can spend time on that, but let's come to this word, Almighty, the Almighty. We sang this song this morning, and I want to finish with this, and I want to encourage you this morning that you belong to the Almighty. Take this, take this encouragement this morning. The Almighty comes from the word Pantocrator. Pantocrator means it's the all-ruling one. It means the one who has his hand on everything. How do you take, uh, how do you take confidence out of that? doesn't matter where your life is in doesn't matter what's going on. If you believe in the Almighty and you're His child, He's got His hand on you. The Almighty. He's got His hand on everything. Oh, I don't know what's going to happen because there's a collection coming on and there's going to be this person and well, it's going to be Armageddon, blah, blah. I don't care because I believe in God. Do you know that He puts governments in place? Nothing happens on this earth. Nothing happens on this earth without his approval. I think we, we need to leave it there. Take courage this morning in the words that he says, grace and peace to you. And know this, that you are in the hands of the Procreator, God Almighty. Fear one, and fear him only, fear God. In Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much this morning for your word. And Father, I, uh, your word is too big for us, Father, to, for our feeble minds to understand the full, the full capacity thereof. But I thank you, Lord, that which you give us, as, as according to Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things of the Lord belongs to God, but the things that you've revealed unto us belongs to us. Thank you this morning that I can take confidence, Lord, that you give, gave us grace. And through grace came peace. And Father, thank you this morning that we know, as we've discussed and discovered these titles of Jesus Christ, and of God the Father and the Holy Spirit, that we're in good hands. We're in the best hands ever. I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning, and I, I pray, Lord, that you bless them. Holy children of God, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Holy children of God, praise, praise the Lord. Rejoice, rejoice, for He's coming soon. It may be morning, night or noon. Rejoice, rejoice, for He's Coming soon, rejoice, rejoice.
glory's coming soon It may be morning, night or noon Rejoice, rejoice, for He's coming soon Rejoice, 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 for He's coming soon It may be morning, night or noon Rejoice, rejoice, for He's coming soon Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice Hallelujah Praise the Lord. Amen.